everyone, and welcome back to another episode of High School Not So Much Musical. Today we're joined by Mr. Greg Credo, who is a Air Force graduate, has served in the military, has also run for political office, and is a pilot and a lawyer. As you can see, with the many different experiences under his belt, it's clear that he is a well-rounded person in life. We want to talk to Mr. Crino about his life experiences and how he's been able to do so many things at once. Stay tuned right after this. This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride to the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jalodanki and Ayush Agarwal. All right, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on your show. It's really uh, an honor, and uh, just to say, I'm really uh, impressed with what you guys are doing. So keep it up. But yeah, just like you guys said, my name is Greg Crino. Um, I was a, a fighter pilot in the Air Force for about 15 years, uh, and then I got out from from the from active duty Air Force and became a lawyer, and also had the crazy idea to run for political office uh, during my third year of my of my law school, and then. From there, unfortunately, I did not get elected, but uh, did have a great experience. And then from there, I got back in the Air Force Reserve, went back into flying fighters again. And uh, after that, I became an airline pilot. So a lot of great experiences, deployed a few times to the Middle East, and lots of lessons learned. And now I'm running a podcast. So just called The Greg Carino Show, and we talk to experts and people with unique experiences um, so we can become better critical thinkers. So check that out. So the first thing you mentioned was that um, you were a fighter pilot and our school started about two months ago. And at the start of our, our, our school year, our college counselors, they talked to us about applying to military schools such as West Point. Um, so what did the admissions process for the Air Force Academy look like as our college counselors, they talked about the rigor of it, so. Well, before you can really talk about the admissions process, you have to talk about the the couple of years leading up to that because it really wasn't about my sophomore year in high school that I decided uh, just definitively that I wanted to uh, become a fighter pilot and I knew that the best way to do that was to go to the Air Force Academy and so what I did is I asked around to uh, to counselors to coaches and, and then just from talking to family the family members I knew the Air Force was what was the best way to do that and I, I talked to a, a fellow um, who was uh, at my high school, who was a senior who had actually, I'm sorry, at the time he had gotten into, uh, he had gotten into the Naval Academy, but he had gone to my school. Um, he was a couple of years ahead of me. So through my coaches, I was put in contact with him and then sat down and talked with him for a bit. And he was the one that sort of pointed me in the right direction. And after that, so of course you got to study hard and do well in school and play sports and do all those great things. But as far as the admissions process, you do have to take the standard test. So at the time it was the SAT for me, the SAT and the ACT. So you have to take all those same standardized tests and prepare and do well there. And then for as far as the academy in particular, you have to talk to what's called an air liaison officer or we call them an ALO for short, A-L-O. And you can go online, you can go to the uh, USAFA admissions, and then there will be a link on there somewhere that will connect you with an ALO. And an ALO is just a person who helps you through the admissions process. It's another Air Force officer who probably lives in your area. 
So you can email them and then they should lead you through that whole process. And what happened with me was my ALO ended up meeting me at my house. So he came over, he was wearing his uniform and everything. And um, he came and talked with me and my parents. And that's sort of your first step in the, the interview. That's your first interview. So that ALO then just kind of makes an overall assessment of, of your character and, and whether or not he or she thinks you're going to make it to the academy. And they provide a recommendation. And that goes in your admissions uh, packet as well. And then you have to do, and this is probably the hardest part, is you have to get a, a, a nomination from your uh, congressman or senator. And that you have to contact their office directly. So again, either an email or a phone call. And they, every congressman or senator has uh, an academy um, outreach person on their staff. And then you set up an interview with them and you got to go in and you got to wear a suit and tie and be prepared to answer why you want to go to the Air Force Academy and, you know, just various other questions. It's probably about a half an hour interview. And then that Senator Congressman, for me, it was, it was Congressman Rohrabacher who lives down here in, um, in Southern California. He was the one that gave me my recommendation, but I interviewed with a couple of members of his staff and it was a while ago, but I think they wrote a letter or maybe I think they wrote a letter saying that I was, uh, I was nominated. So once I had my, a my ALO recommendation, I had my congressman recommendation, I put all that together in the packet and then that's when I applied. And then another thing you got to do, actually, I kind of skipped a step, I skipped a step is that you have to do a physical fitness test um, and it, you know, you have to do reasonably well on that as well. And that was at a gym. I forget where it was. It might've been at a local high school gym where they were setting this up, but it was just a, a morning where you have to do, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, a, a short run, some, you know, pretty, pretty simple things just to make sure that you're, you're reasonably physically fit and all those scores go into your packet. And then you get a, a, you know, either you, you get in. Um, and for me, I was notified in uh, January of my senior year. Um, so I had, I had a pretty good packet together. I also had my, my coach, um, my water polo coach, I played water polo in high school and the water polo coach at the air force Academy also provided a recommendation as well. So in a sense, I was recruited, um, for a sport as, as well. So all the more recommendations you can have going into that packet, the better, but the ones that you must have are an, a nomination from your Congressman or Senator, and then a recommendation from your ALO, your ALO, your ALO air liaison officer. So it's quite a process, takes a while, um, but it's uh, obviously well worth it. So I was very happy I went. So I have two follow-up questions. And the first one is concerned with, you talked about the SAT and the ACT and Rishi, Ayush and I, we're all in like that time of the year where we're worrying about standardized testing and everything like that. So you're just preparing for the SAT, I'm preparing for the ACT. So why do you think that the Air Force Academy even uses the SAT and the ACT in general? Because like when, why would you need the skills of an ACT or an SAT in the Air Force? Because just stemming from your experience, just for like our enjoyment, have you ever used any of the skills that you learned from the SAT or the ACT? Well, yeah, it's hard to make that connection. I think when you're in high school, all the way to seeing somebody who's a, an officer and fighter pilot, like why would they want to, why would the ACT or SAT uh, be valuable? Well, I'd say for one is that it helps to 
standardize the, the GPAs across schools. So you might have one school that grades particularly easy. So you have a person with a, you know, a 4.0 from that school and maybe another school, some other person has a 3.5. So the, the standardized testing just kind of helps them measure, um, it helps to control for those variables between grading uh, between different schools. So that's where the school's coming from. Um, as far as the skills go, I think that it's probably where it becomes valuable in the military to have some sort of standardized testing is being able to maintain your skills under pressure. So you're going to be in, in many situations, especially in the military, where your performance really matters. And it's going to be, in the most extreme cases, it'll be life and death. And so rather than trying to put a person straight to that scenario when they're young, they start with things like standardized testing, um, GPAs. So you, you have to be put through some sort of stress that measures your skill and your performance. And I think that's just the, the gateway to doing that for the academy. Now, as far as all the little subjects that are in those, you're going to need them and in, in, you're going to need those skills just to get through the academy, whether it's algebra or trigonometry or, or you know, reading and writing skills, uh, reading comprehension, things like that. So they are, they are going to be necessary eventually. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of get your, your hesitation with, you know, making that connection from the test all the way to a fighter pilot, because <laughs> there's many things that are, you're going to have to do along the way, but yeah, that's the first step. Yeah. I think it makes perfect sense. Like how they're trying to distinguish between students. So my second follow-up was, I had this time in like middle school where all I would watch was like air crash investigations and all of these type, type of things where these, there's these crazy aircraft situations. So you talked about how you became a fighter pilot and you were also a commercial pilot and you obviously would have flown all around the US or all around the world. So what were some of your like coolest or scariest experiences while you were serving the country or for your specific airline? Oh, wow. I would say one of the coolest experiences, um, oh boy, going back to the A-10 days. So for those who don't know, the A-10 Warthog is a, is a ground attack airplane. Um, it has one pilot, carries lots of bombs and missiles and, and bullets, and is meant to provide what's called close air support for, for, the, uh, for the, the ground troops. So if you can imagine ground troops getting in a, into a firefight, in a fairly close, close proximity to, to the enemy troops, anywhere from 20 meters away out to a couple of miles away, uh, the A-10 is there to provide that support. So for me, I would say one of the coolest experiences was, um, gosh, probably on the, on the night that uh, Saddam Hussein was captured in, in Iraq. Now, I didn't actually participate in the immediate capture, it just happened to be that night, but I was in the area where where he eventually was captured. And I was tasked with um, providing just air support or air cover while the army went in to, uh, to do some raids on some houses. And uh, the area happened to be in, in Fallujah. And it was just low weather um, at night. And I was having to uh, drop what, what are called flares. And these flares drop out of the A-10 and they have a parachute on them and they help to light up the ground beneath. Uh, beneath the airplane and kind of around the, the outskirts of Fallujah. So my, my wingman and I had to do that. And we're looking down and we know we're seeing people chasing each other uh, throughout the, 
you know, in, in the outskirts of the city and, you know, seeing them capture whoever they had to capture that night. So um, definitely a, a stressful scenario because I had to provide the, the cover for the troops and uh, provide the lighting that they needed and then tell them where the, uh, the, the enemy was escaping to. Um, you know, they wanted to capture them, so there was no shooting going on from my end. Um, but I had to provide the, uh, the, the cover and, the, um, and kind of describe to them where, where uh, the guys were going. So it was pretty cool. Um, you know, again, low weather, storms were coming into the base where I was landing. So we had to go, uh, go back after about, a, about two hours or so out there in Fallujah. And we come back, and of course, there are storms everywhere around where I was supposed to land. And in those days, this was 2003, when there wasn't a whole lot of infrastructure um, in terms of air traffic control. And so we had to fly in the clouds without any radar. So we, we just had to know where we were. We looked at our maps and we used heading and altitude and airspeed and all these things to know where we were going. And we knew where all the mountains were, and, um, but we had to fly in the weather without any sort of radar coverage, which you would never do. You could never do that in any civilian situation. That was purely an emergency situation. We had to go and land and I had to use night vision goggles because the runway was all blacked out. So it was just a, quite an, an adventure. So we had to really think outside of the box and use the skills that we were given and, and kind of use, we had to use that emergency authority. We, at that point in time, we had to break the rules because the rules were keeping us less safe. So definitely a lot of flexibility. Um, heart rate was, was running high, but we felt pretty accomplished after that mission. So that's a super interesting experience. Now you talked a little bit about how you were able to fly around in an A-10, which is, I think, one of the most impressive like fighter jets ever invented. Uh, and I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan. And one of the episodes with Elon Musk, he kind of go with Elon Musk, he kind of goes into talking about how they came up, like Elon came up with his son's name. I think it's like X Ash A12 or A10 or something. It's not some crazy name like that. Sorry. I can tell you the story about the A12 for sure. Yeah. So if you could talk about like if you have a story about the A12, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I I mean I so on my podcast, I interviewed one of the engineers who was in charge or not in charge, but one of the engineers who worked on the A12 program. So you could probably look this up. It's I'm sure it's you know, on Wikipedia, but the A-12 was the precursor to the SR-71, and that was the Blackbird. Um, and the A-12 was a spy plane. So it was just, it looks like a, you know, a big black triangle, like a nice oscillate triangle and two engines, and it goes very high and very fast. And it goes like Mach 3.3 or something. And that was flown mostly by the CIA back in the, I think 1960, somewhere in there. And the reason that the U.S. wanted to create that airplane was to help outrun the surface-to-air missiles that had just shot down the U-2. I think it was Francis Gary Powers that was shot down over, over the Soviet Union and got the U.S. in a lot of trouble. So then we're like, well, we need something higher and faster. So they, they created the A-12, but it's flown by the CIA. And so it didn't hold any of the records for altitude and airspeed because it was a secret program at the time. So then when they created the SR-71, which is basically just a slightly bigger version of the A-12, um, but because it's bigger, it goes a little bit lower, you know, not by much, maybe about 5,000 feet. And then it goes a tad bit slower, maybe 0.1 or 0.2 Mach. Um, but right now, officially, the SR-71 has all the records when, in fact, it was really the A-12. <laughs> but I wouldn't have known that unless I talked to one of the guys who was in the program. So 
yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool airplane. I think Elon named his kid that as crazy as that is, uh, just because it, it really is the highest and fastest airplane um, and not the SR-71. So yeah, you guys up, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. So that was a definitely a very, very interesting story uh, because <laughs> I think all of us have some sort of insight into aviation, like Nathan talked about all the aircraft stories he's been watching. Uh, and I'm personally very fascinated with planes and drones, et cetera, as well. In fact, Nathan has his own uh, drone startup where he uh, makes drone tests for children. So um, one thing I actually wanted to ask you about is kind of related back to more of the standardized tests and academics aspects of the admissions process, because do you think that a big reason a lot of these military academies stress so much on making sure that you have high grades and high SAT scores is like for the discipline, because discipline is obviously something that I know the military values very heavily, right? That's why you're on stretches, such a strict schedule in both the military after you go into military academy and also while you're in military academy, it's like wake up five, wake up at 5 a.m. every day, like get, get a buzz cut, like wear a uniform all the time, like salute the flag, all the all these sort of like small things that build your overall discipline and keep you on like a consistent schedule every day, keep you going. Uh, do, do you think that that like making sure that a kid is disciplined, has the discipline to get like high grades to uh, continually put work into school, continually put work to study for the SAT? Do you think these are all aspects of why they stress so much on academics in the administration in the admissions process? Well, yeah, and I think it's also more than just discipline. Certainly somebody who does well in school, at least most people who do well in school, they, they have more discipline, I would say, on average than people who don't. But it's not the dis discipline also isn't the only thing. I think people do want someone genuinely who is intelligent and, you know, there just isn't a great way to know that about somebody you've never met, unless you see some sort of numbers, you, you measure them on something, whether that's school and that's where your GPA comes from. And it's, and you have numerous teachers that have input on that. Um, and then that school hopefully is accredited. And so you have a governing body that is overseeing that school. So you have another layer of people who are involved. And then to control, like I said before, for the variables across schools, you have a standardized tests, which is created by a whole other group of people. So you have your teachers, you have the, the accreditation boards for the schools, and then you have the, the people who are creating the SAT and ACT. And you know that that helps control across all those schools. So it's, it's more of, um, it, it measures, again, it's the best measure of intelligence that we have right now. Um, it controls for variations across schools. And yeah, and then the discipline, of course, is part of that as well. But you have to be a, a very well-rounded person. Like what I found at the academy is there were a lot of smart kids. They weren't necessarily, the, some kids were extremely smart, don't get me wrong, but it, it wasn't like the smartest kids in the country went to the academies. You know, maybe those smartest kids went to Stanford or Harvard or Yale or whatever. But what I found at the academy is you had very, very well-rounded kids. So not only were kids very smart, they also were athletic, they had discipline, they had character. 
So all those things go into play when you're going to the academy. You need, you need to be good at, at least you need to be pretty good at everything. If you're too good in one thing, you're not going to make it. And that includes being, you know, you could be extremely smart, but then maybe you just, you can't get up in the morning or you're not very physically fit. Or maybe you are a person who is very physically fit. You're a great football player or, or baseball player, but then you, you can't pass geometry. So you need to be able to do all that at the academy. Thank you, Mr. Crino, for your insightful thoughts on how to be a well-rounded person in life and also how to get into selective military schools. For our listeners, if you're interested in that, make sure that you start early because the admissions process is quite rigorous. Be sure to check out our future episodes with Mr. Crino, where we'll go more into depth about how to be a well-rounded person and some of Mr. Crino's other life experiences. And also make sure to check out his podcast, The Greg Crino Show, which we will definitely link in the description. Thank you all and see you next time. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nitin Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang, Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.